We're going to finish up our core values here. How many people have enjoyed these conversations? Yeah. That'd be good. Um, they've been challenging. And today, I'm going to talk about something that is one of my favorites. And we left it to the end. But we're, we call it the process here. And um, I'd like to say it's unique, but I'm hoping it's not. I believe all... I believe all Christians should operate this way. And, um, but it's a core value of who we are here at Hedgesville Church. We know that life and your walk with Christ is a process. We know there's a process from where you are to get to Christ. And we know that after that, it's still a process to become like Christ. So we're going to talk about that this morning. But um, it's one of my favorite things because uh, if I told you my whole story, um, I, was, I had seasons where I didn't make any fruit. I had seasons where the... It was just winter time for a couple of years. Anybody ever been in those seasons? Thank God that he doesn't lop the tree down after a couple of winters. Amen? Because not many of us would be standing up today if he did. So I, I call it the process. And it's what God does in our lives through those times. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. I just told you to sit down. You should stand back up. We're going to read the word together. We're going to start way at the beginning. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Somebody say, man, I like it when God says that stuff to me. Nobody's going to mess with you because if they mess with you, I'll mess with them. Isn't that awesome when you have that friend in school? Where you're like, you could be kind of weak and not sure of yourself. And you got that guy that's always taken up for you. Like my buddy Terry, he's here this morning. Like, just like I like mess with me. I dare you. And then you constantly start like looking like this. God said, I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. So Abram went, and as as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at the time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ion on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now, listen, at the beginning, he just said, Go from your country, your people, and your father's house to the land I will show you. God didn't give him a map. He said, I'll show you where you're going to go after you leave. Get up and go. How many of you like vacations like that? Where are you going? We're just start driving. (laughs) Now watch this. So then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. So he's left. He's traveling. 
God comes to him again and says, I'm going to give you all this land. I'm going to give you all this land. Come on, that's good stuff from God, right? God, you're going to protect me? And you're going to give me all this stuff? Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. That wasn't part of the plan, by the way, right? How many of you love it when God says, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to bless you, and now there's a famine? (laughs) Don't you feel like you're right in the middle of God's will? Like, I thought, what happened about the protection thing, God? Now there's a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. I've done this before, but just take a second, look at your wife and say, man, you are beautiful. Come on, guys, I'm doing you a favor this morning. Do it! All the guys are like, I don't know. She burnt my toast this morning. I ain't going to come. Doing you a favor. I'm doing you a favor. Now, I said this before in a sermon. Now, I know they lived longer than us, but Sarah... is not young. So what is about to happen is remarkable to me. So he tells her, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but will let you live. He was thinking about his wife here, right? When the, when the Egyptians say, This is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister so that I not be treated so that I will be treated well for your sake, which you're the one that's going to live. And my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. The whole time he thinks that she's his sister. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. That Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men. They sent him on his way with his wife and everything they had. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we pray that it would change us today. Do something in our lives, God, that we can only attribute to you. Thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, there's a process. There's a process. I believe there are actually two Two processes going on. It's a two-part process, and it ends up staying that way throughout your life. There's a two-part process. I believe there's a part, there's a process, there's a path that takes you from where you are to Christ. As a pro- How many of you know that's a process? That your whole history, I believe, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. I believe... That he came to seek and save those that are lost. I believe that he would that none should perish. This is all through scripture. That God sent Jesus to redeem mankind. 
The issue is there's a process for us coming to faith in Christ. And if we add up all of the things that have happened to us, all of our mistakes, all of our all the, all the bad things that have happened to us, all the bad things that we've done to ourselves, I believe there's a culmination there that it's God still wooing us to himself. He's still calling us to himself. So I call those kind of the rocks in the road, the first path from where we are to get to Christ. And then after that, I believe the second part, there's a path from getting to Christ to becoming like Christ. Because how many of you know the first time you bow your knees and say, Jesus is coming to my life, there is still a lot of mess. <laughs> and one of the fallacies that has been propagated over the last hundred years or so is that when you come to Christ, all that's going to get fixed. Right? Sometimes some of it does get fixed. Instantly. God can, I've seen God take addictions from people instantly. I've seen God repair relationships instantly. But then I've seen, also seen people absolutely 100% saved and struggle with all kinds of things for the rest of their lives. It's the process of becoming like Christ. And so you have a path to get from where you are to faith in Christ. And there's all kinds of rocks in that path. Then you have a path from getting or having faith in Christ to becoming like Christ. And I hope today I'm a little more like Christ than I was Six months ago. Don't everybody look at my wife right now. She's, I already told her to lie. <laughs> the issue is there's rocks in that path too, but they serve a different purpose. See, the rocks in your path before you meet Christ are all pushing you to Christ. You say, well, how, do, how does that, how do you figure? Well, well, I've made a mistake that ruined my life as I know it, but, but what happens is, in the midst of that sorrow and grief and all that, all that chaos in my life, I, I can have a glimpse into the idea that God is still for me. Amen? That, he, that he's calling me to himself, that there actually is hope if I trust him. After I've come to Christ, those rocks help me to become more like Christ. Because I don't know about you, but have you ever seen a spoiled kid? I've seen your kids. Oh, they're not spoiled. We just, they're blessed. Yeah. Tell their teacher that. That's not the comment they'd use. Right? They're favor, highly favored. The issue is, is that we have this expectation that the process, once we meet Christ, that, that, that there won't be any rocks anymore, right? And that everything now is, I'm going to have enough money to pay all my bills, regardless of if I've changed my spending habits or not. Because when I came to Jesus, he became my banker. And I don't know about you, but my banker never calls me up and says, hey, it doesn't look like you're on a budget. They just give me more money until it's all gone. So what we do is we think, oh, he's just going to continue to supply all my wants according to his riches and glory. That's not actually what he said. He said he'll supply all your needs according to your riches and glory. It just happens to be that I need a new truck. Right? <laughs> So there's stones in our path even after we come to Christ. And, and Paul talks about things like, like a thorn in his flesh that kept him from being conceited. And we know that being conceited is not like Christ at all. So Paul talks about these stones in his life, these troubles, these, these uh, tribulations that cause him to be more Christ-like. And so there's a two-part 
process here. And some of you are on the first part of the process, which is fine that you're, that you haven't, that you haven't come down the road far enough to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And I want to say to you that I'm glad you're here. Because that tells me that you're farther down the path than you think. Amen? So, and here's the, here's the thing about this church. We're not insecure with that. Oh, did you hear somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus that came to church this morning? What are we going to do? We have to change everything. I'm fine with the process. It was a process in my life. I, I remember at four years old, you're like, that's not a process. <laughs> I remember four years old at an old church in Hopewell, Virginia. Um, I think I was around four. I just remember a blue Sunday school class and the, and the teacher saying, hey, do you guys want to accept Christ? I was like, I'm it. <laughs> and, I, and I remember, I just remember a little bit. I think we had cookies after that. <laughs> which I thought, that sealed the deal, man. <laughs> Made the prayer, ate the cookies. I just want to say, we've got a wonderful kids ministry back there that is investing in kids' lives. There's a process in that as well. But while that childlike faith was great, and it was a foundation of who I grew up to be, there was a, there was a season in my life where I walked away. That fruitless season, right? And there was a process for me to come back. There was a season in my life where I was in college and doing, uh, hopefully, what my daughter won't do in college when she leaves <laughs> I'm praying to God. Um, but uh, there was a process for me coming back, and God was faithful in that process. The amazing thing about what we think as, as Christians is we, we like to give a lot of grace to ourselves, but not necessarily out to other, other people, right? I can have immense grace for my failure. Uh, but when it comes to the failures of others, we're like, three strikes, man. What I see here in Scripture is that Abram, God calls him out and just says, hey, I want you to leave where you're at right now. I want you to go somewhere, I'll tell you. I want you to have faith in me that I'm God and that I can, I can control this thing. That I can take who you are right now and turn it into something you never imagined. That I can, I can walk beside you every day. And I believe he's saying that to all of us this morning. That hey, where you're at right now, I, I just want you to trust me with where you're at right now. I want you to trust me enough to make a move towards me. I want you to trust me. Maybe you haven't, maybe you haven't established faith with Christ, faith in Christ yet, but, but, but maybe God today is saying like you did to Abram and he's saying, hey, I, I want you to take a step from where you're at out towards me. And I want, I want you to do that today. I want you to take another step towards me. It's okay. I understand the process. I want you to, I want you to come towards me. And, and maybe, maybe you have faith in Christ and, and, you, and you feel like it's been a little bit stagnant. And God's saying, hey, come on. Come on, take another step towards me. I, I, I promise you I'll direct your path. I'll, I'll, I'll direct your steps. I promise you that I'll never leave you or forsake you. I promise you I'll be with you. So Abram does this. And I believe this is remarkable. I believe it's remarkable what he does at the beginning. Okay, God, I'll pack up everything. We'll roll out. So what was the directions again? I'll tell you when you get there. Okay. 
Those are great directions, by the way. Just don't want to offend you, but I... So he starts to leave. God comes to him again and says, man, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you all this land. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to give you all this land. And I'm going to bless you. Whoever curses you, I'll curse them. Whoever blesses you, I'll bless them. This is a promise. And then we find something that we all can relate to. We all can relate to this part, right? God, I'm taking a step towards you. Man, you're awesome. I was in church this morning. Felt your presence, maybe for the first time. This was amazing. This was like, there's just something. I could tell you were here. God, all the stuff in my life that brought me to this place, and I could tell you were here. And then we get down to Egypt because it was something we didn't expect because he promised us that he would bless us. And now we show up and there's a famine. So we go down to Egypt and we're lying about our wife. And for some Christians, that's hard to like, okay, wait, 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 wait. God said, man, I'm leave from here. Go to a place. I'll show you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to do all this stuff. You're, you're my man. I'm going to do this all through you. And Wait a second, he just disqualified himself like one chapter in. He goes to Egypt and he lies about his wife, point blank. And we instantly start thinking, it's over. It's over. God tried with a guy and he sinned and now it's over. And by the way, this is another part that I love. I, I believe if you do the calculation... Uh, his wife was about 60 years old at this time. If you've got a wife 60 years or older, turn around and look at her and say, baby, it might have been a long time since you said that. <laughs> say, baby, you're so beautiful. If we were in Egypt, I'd lie about you. <laughs> Go ahead, tell her, guys. I'm doing you a favor this morning. Baby, you're so beautiful. If we were in Egypt, I'd lie about you. I'd say you're my sister. To save me, by the way. I'm making it out to where I'm doing you a favor, but this is all about me. We have a hard time coming to grips with the process, don't we? Sometimes we have a hard time coming to grips with it in our lives. We definitely have a hard time coming to grips with it in other people's lives. We can, we can, we can tolerate the idea that, that people are in bad situations and, and, and that's, that's God pushing them to Him and, and he's, he's working these things out so, so people will come to him. We can tolerate that. We can, we can understand that. But after we have faith in Christ, then we start looking at stuff like this. And we go, dude, they're blowing it. What are they doing? I don't understand how you can, have, how you can walk away at a, just on God saying go and, and have this faith. And then, and then not too far later, just go lie. She's my sister. And in my family, we kiss our sisters. (laughs) He does it more than once if you read the rest of his story. So you're thrown right right up front. You're thrown with the frailty of man. And the faithfulness of God. The frailty of man and the faithfulness of God. And it's this constant tug of war in our lives, isn't it? And what I'm so thankful for is the Bible doesn't ignore it. The Bible doesn't say that Abram just picked up where he was and lived the perfect life from then on out. No, he picked up where he was and went straight to Egypt and lied. 
They go, God, I don't understand. How can you use a liar? How can you do that? I don't understand the process. Watch this. Let's go through the chapters here. Chapter 16, Abram, after God says, hey, I'm going to make your offspring as numerous as the sands on the seashore. I don't know about you, but I've never wanted that many kids. (laughs) But he tells them this promise and they're up in age and they're going, I don't get it. I don't get how this is going to happen. So not only... Not only through this process is Abraham called out by God, Abraham, Abram at this time called out by God, promised by God, promised by God that he would get this land and he would have innumerable descendants. He's lying. And now by the time you get to the chapter 16, his wife's going, dude, this ain't going to happen. Why don't you go sleep with your servant? And he goes, yeah, okay. Guys, marriage 101. (laughs) Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. Take Abram's life as an example. There's some things your wife tells you to do that she says, I'm fine with this. You're going to come back six months later, wish you hadn't done that. So pray first. Pray a lot first. Then come see me. Because I'm going to say, are you crazy? So, so he's now having children through a servant, which is not what God told him was going to happen. Chapter 17. We see faith at work again, the covenant of a circumcision and the promise of Isaac. Now, I don't know about you, but, as a, but God comes to... Abram, as an old man, and he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Now you have to be circumcised. What? (laughs) I left Egypt, or I I left Haran. Was totally fine with that. I was fine with you telling me you were going to bless me and curse everybody else. I was fine with that. I was fine with you telling me that my descendants were going to be as numerous as the sands on the shore. I was fine with that. Now you're talking about circumcision. (laughs) Me and everybody else around me. Now, we take this willy-nilly like it wasn't a big deal. (laughs) You just read through your Bible, it's like, oh, the covenant of circumcision, that's not a big deal. That's because you were like a day old when it happened. (laughs) He's an old man. Can you imagine all of his servants going, dude, I was with you with this servant God thing up to this point, but this is crazy talk now. You just read over stuff like that in scripture. You're like, oh, that makes total sense. (laughs) Makes total sense. That's part of the process. Sitting your little kids down going, hey, this is part of the process. Imagine how much faith it took. I mean, think about that. But what you're seeing is a process In Abram's life, you're seeing him walk the path with some rocks in it. And some of the rocks were he put there himself. You're seeing him walk a path where there's faith and then failure. Faith and then failure. Faith and then failure. Look at your neighbor and say, keep your head up. Abraham did the same thing. It's the process. 
By chapter 18, God visits Abraham and Sarah, gives them the timeline for Isaac. He says, this time next year, Sarah, uh, you will have a son. After all of this, after circumcision, after all of this faith, and all of this failure, guess what's still happening? Sarah's in the tent. God's visiting Abraham and he said, hey, listen, I'm going to be back this time next year, you're going to have a baby. Sarah's in there like, <laughs> God's doing a one-man comedy act out here in front of my husband and she's in the tent laughing. Well, listen, God can hear you laughing in your bedroom. He looks at Abraham and says, why is she laughing? Dude, I don't know. So why'd you laugh? I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. Faith, failure, faith, failure, faith, failure, faith, failure. Aren't you encouraged? It's a process. Chapter 21, Isaac's born. The promise still came true. Did you see that? Faith, failure, faith, failure, faith, failure, faith, failure. Promise came true. Faith, failure, faith, failure, faith, failure, faith, failure. Promise came true. I believe in our church that we have to embrace this process with one another every day, every day, every day. Because if you don't, you'll write people off in a moment of failure where faith will be the thing that follows it up. Did you hear that? You'll write people off in a moment of failure when faith will be the thing that follows up the failure. And what's so remarkable about this story is that, is that when we would interject ourselves into if I interjected myself into the story, I would be like, after all God did, he was so faithful to Abram. After all he did, calling him out, telling him he was going to be his man, telling him he was going to give him this land, telling him he was going to, numerous as the seashores, blessing him, and his wife is still laughing? Are you kidding me? I'd have wrote him off. You don't even appreciate this. But God says, my promise still works. Even when it's faith, failure, faith, failure, faith, failure, my promise still works. And by chapter 22, what are we having? By chapter 22, God says, sacrifice Isaac on the altar. Now, again, we read right over this. Oh, yeah, God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. He did that with one of my kids one time. <laughs> but do you see how this thing happened? Watch the progression. Leave where you're at. Okay. Not a big deal. We'll pack everybody up and move. Believe that I can turn you and your wife very old people at this time. By the way, the Bible says that she had passed the age of childbearing. That means there were certain physical things that were not happening in her body at the time. And they knew it back then. Hey, this thing is done. There wasn't nobody having surgeries to speed it up back then. This thing is done, over. I'm, the way of womanhood is over for me. And he was able to awaken both of them to have a baby. And you see this progression. 
that there's faith, failure, but then the next time there's more faith than failure. Then the next time there's more faith. Oh, but now we had a baby. And then all the way at the end, where he has to exercise the most faith, he can do that because there was a process. So now God says, take your only son, take Isaac up on the mountain. God, there's got to be another. Okay. Okay. I don't know about you, but how do you rationalize this? How do you even come to grips with it? How do you, how do you even wake up in the morning and go, God, your will be done, not mine. How do you even do that? Now, I, I, now listen, if you come to me tomorrow and you say, Chris, we're reading Genesis and God's called me to sacrifice my son, my only son. I'm going to say, don't move. I'm calling the police. <laughs> but how many times has God asked you to do something after the promise? And you went, this doesn't make any sense, Lord. I've been walking with you for a while and this don't make no sense. You're asking me to give up the very thing you put in my lap. But the reason he could walk up that mountain with nothing else but Isaac is because it was faith, failure, faith, failure, faith, failure, and then the promise came true. And there's going to be times in your life where God's called you up to the top of the mountain with something that you don't want to give up. And no person in their right mind would want to give it up. But because you embrace the process up to that point, you have enough faith to trust him. Amen? So what happens is, there's a two-part process. One to get to God, one to get to faith in Christ, and then one to become more like Christ. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, if you're on your way to him, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm telling you, if you're on the way to meet Jesus, keep walking. Don't give up here. Don't give up now. It may be tough, but all those rocks are to draw you to him, not to push you away. He says, listen, come to me in your time of need. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So my encouragement to you today is if you haven't met him, if you haven't had faith in him yet, that you do that today. He's saying, trust me. Trust me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's not talking about eggs. He didn't say my yoke is over easy. Our inadequacies point us to the need of something bigger than our circumstances, of someone bigger than our circumstances. God is constantly orchestrating our lives to draw us close to him. Then the second part, Romans 5, 1 through 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. And now which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces things, right? It makes us more like Jesus. It produces perseverance, character, hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Paul says, listen. Second part of this path is still becoming like Christ and it's still rocky 
And there's still going to be mistakes. And there's still going to be all these things. And we see it play out way at the beginning in Abram's, Abraham's life. Where some of the rocks were because of his doing. Some of them weren't. I believe this continues as a two-part process. So you come to faith in Christ. And then there's two parts after that. I believe it works like this. That you start out with faith, right? Because you can't come to faith in Christ without faith. That's why it's called faith in Christ. But then there's a part that we have to do. We have to resist sin, right? So I love, I love seeing people that have just found brand new faith in Christ. Because it, man, it turns our worlds upside down, doesn't it? Because the day before, it was like, party! And then you come to Christ and you're like... I don't even know if this is right anymore. Come on, anybody ever been there? You, you, before you have faith in Christ, the Bible says that we're slaves to sin. So a lot of times, I didn't even worry about it. I was just like, dude, this is good in the moment. I'm cool with it. And then you come to faith in Christ, you're slaves to righteousness, and so you have a problem with sin now, right? So the beginning of our walk with Christ, we're really into like, I'm not sure if I should do this anymore. I don't know. God, I'm trying to resist sin. I don't know. It's so fun. It's so fun. It's so fun. It's so fun. And you're telling me not to do it now, but it was fun. Listen, any Christian that tells you sin isn't fun never sinned. Really sinned. Because sin is fun. Come on, all you suck-up saints out there. Sin was fun, and it still is. The Bible even says so. It's pleasurable for what? If it wasn't pleasurable, you wouldn't do it. Amen? I'm like, the reason I did it again was because it was fun the first time. It's like eating broccoli. I don't eat it anymore because the first time was horrible. We get this idea, like we come to church for 20 years and we think, well, sin's not fun anymore. The, the issue is, it is. And so when we come to Christ, we're, we're, we're dealt with this now, now, now this separation in our lives where we're like, ah, ah, I don't know, like, it was so fun hanging out here and doing this and it was so fun doing this over here and I'm not sure, and now, and now, now I want to serve Christ and I'm not sure what to do now and, and this difficulty figuring it all out and we spend a lot of time and energy trying to resist sin don't we anybody ever try to quit smoking yeah I tried smoking one time my dad found a cigarette in the back of his car because I didn't even know how to flick it out the window <laughs> honest to God truth me and my friend in high school we were riding and my dad had like a 1981 Mercury Cougar yes Red velour seats and all. Crager wheels. And you know, it had one of those open, it had one of those single doors on the side that weighed like 7,000 pounds. And, and if the wind was blowing, you couldn't open it up. So me and this guy, we were riding down through Inwood. And, um, he smoked and I didn't, but he was cooler than me at the time. So I thought, let's do it, man. And, and so I'm riding with the window down because I thought if my dad smells smoke in his car, I'm going to get, I will praise. So, um, you know, I'm hanging it out the window like this. I went to flick it out the window. And the window on that thing was like this long. So I went, right into the back seat. 
I thought I was cool. Only coughed a couple times. And uh, we got home. And the next day, my dad flipped straight out. I mean, hellfire. Were you smoking in my car? Remember, there was whole seasons of my life with no fruit. I said, no, sir. (laughs) Andrew was. (laughs) I swear, that is exactly how it went down. I thought, he ain't going to beat up my friend, but he's getting ready to beat me up right now. I'm like, Abraham, hey, she's my sister because I don't want to die. So... I'm looking at, he, Andrew's not even there, and I'm like, dude, you need to stay away from my house a little bit. My dad thinks you kick, kick the cigarette in his back seat. Um, so, I, here's where we mess up. I tell people this all the time that come into my office and are struggling with sin. I say, you're struggling, that's a good thing. Let me say that again. You're struggling, that's a good thing, because before you met Christ, you didn't struggle. Paul said, we're a slave to sin before we meet Christ. We don't struggle with sin. We just do it. And after we meet Christ, there's this struggle that takes place. And what the devil tries to convince you of is as long as you're struggling, you're not, you're not meeting up to the standard of Christ. And my thing is this. You wouldn't even struggle unless the Holy Spirit was in you. And so because you're struggling, it's a sign to me that God is working in your life. And so why should we as a church write somebody off that's struggling? Do I want you to quit smoking? Absolutely. Because if you flick that cigarette and ends up in the back of your dad's car, you're getting beat like I was. I don't want to see that happen. But I'm not going to write you off because you haven't beat the struggle yet. Let me say, you can apply this to all sin. Because there's some things we draw a hard line with. Bang! If you don't get over this right now, it's over. And there's other things we have grace for. Right? And what God did with Abram was, he realized that he had stepped out in faith, but he still struggled with sin. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to struggle with sin the rest of my life, but the promise is still true. Amen? Because I know the things to say to get you to cuss. (laughs) I know. We all know what what our hot spots are. We know all, all know our triggers for anger. We know all our triggers for lust. We know all of our triggers to lie. We know them. So what happens when you first come to crisis, that's all we think about. We're thinking about, man, I got to stop sinning. I got to stop, stop smoking. Got to stop drinking. Got to stop hanging out with these people, hanging out with those people. I got to stop. I got to stop. I got to stop. We're just so focused on not sinning. And, but I believe there comes a, a flip in that process. Because the Bible says if you res- resist the devil, he will flee from you. Now, that doesn't mean he won't come back. Because as fast as he runs away, he will run back. It says, resist the devil and he will flee. And so you win today. And then you win tomorrow. And then you win the next day. Then you might slip. But then you win the next day. Then you might slip. Then you win the next. Isn't this Abraham's life? I've got faith, failure, faith, failure, faith, failure. But what happens is, the longer you walk with Christ, you have faith, failure, faith, failure, faith, 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 failure, faith, 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 failure, faith, 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 failure. 
you start to see a switch happen in your life because the longer you walk with him, the I don't want to smoke anymore. I don't want my wife to find cigarettes in the back seat. I have no desire to smoke anymore. I have no desire to drink anymore. There's things that I don't wake up in the morning going, God, I pray I don't cuss today. I probably should pray that one. <laughs> or I pray, Lord, take, take this addiction. I, 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 there's some things in my life that I've just overcome, and so have you. Amen. Right? And so what happens is there's a switch that takes place. We're not so much focused every day like, God, I'm going to get this right. But now, now what you see in Abraham's life is he can walk Isaac up to the top of the mountain. So Abraham, through this process, has reached a place where faith has overcome. And you go, how does he do that? How does he do that? And the gracious thing about God is he didn't ask him to sacrifice Isaac the first time he met him. He didn't say, hey, you already have this son. Now go, now go sacrifice. We're on a, I want you to prove your faith to me. He didn't do that. He let him walk through the process. And I want to encourage you this morning. I don't care where on that timeline you are. I just want you in the game. Because together we can walk down that road, right? Together we can walk down that road. Oh, you slipped? Come on, let's help you up. You slipped? Let's help you up. Come on, let's, what does faith mean in this situation? Faith means in this situation that you didn't stop and go back to Heron, but you kept going. Let's get up. Faith is when you're down like that and you get up. That's faith. You're down, you get up. That's faith. Down, up, faith. And so as a church, my heart's desire is that when people fall down... They get back up. But let me warn you, they don't get back up in another church. Oh, you're like, well, you know, you failed, so it's going to be weird here. Yeah, everybody knows. You know what the great thing about a church growing is? Nobody knows. <laughs> I remember it was like 40 people. Somebody come in with smoke on their breath, like, well, brother, so-and-so ain't quit yet. (laughs) He ain't quit yet. He ain't quit. I knew it. I knew Satan had him. (laughs) Anybody anybody ever been around stuff like that? Now, Paul says, should we go on sinning that grace may abound? No. Don't just do it to do it. Let the struggle take place. But the most redeeming thing I think about this congregation is that people can mess up. We can pick them up and they can stay. Amen. 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 It's like the parent who has to discipline their kid. They don't say just, you're not my kid anymore. And what always hurt me about churches is that people came with the mindset that if they messed up, people would not accept them afterwards. And you don't read that anywhere in scripture. Look at Peter, for example. Who do they say that I am? Oh, some say you're this, some say you're that, some say. Who do you say that I am? Peter, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. On this rock, I will build my church. Peter's like, yes, you will. 
Go get this thing. Make it happen. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. No, I'm not. I'm the rock, remember? You're going to deny me three times, Peter. No, I'm not. I'll never do that. I'm telling you, you're going to deny me three times. Jesus is arrested, standing trial. A little girl comes and accuses me. No, 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 no. That's not me. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. The rooster crows. And all that guilt and shame falls down on Peter. The Bible says that he makes eye contact with Jesus and he remembers the conversation. How can leadership fail that much? How can a Christian fail that much? Because the process is still going on. And then Jesus reveals himself later to Peter on the beach after they were fishing, calls him in. Jesus has the fish fixed up on the fire. Don't you like it when Jesus prepares a meal for you to show up? And he says, hey, do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Get to work. Get to work. This ain't over. You fell back there, but your faith has risen you back up. And I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's not how this works. So go. Remember when I told you you were the rock back there? You're still the rock. Remember when I promised you, Abram, back here? I still kept my promise up here. Remember when I said that back there and you failed 17 times, but had enough faith to get back up and there's a church that came around you and supported you? Okay, it's still on. Day of Pentecost comes, Peter preaches, 3,000 people get saved. I would pretty much say he's back in position, right? But let me tell you something. There's a trick that Satan plays on you because when you fail, he automatically makes you feel worthless. And he makes you feel you're not good enough to do what he initially called you to do. And that's not the case in any of these scriptures. He says he is faithful to complete what he had started in you. At the end of Jude, it says to him who is able to keep me from falling and present me before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. It's him that keeps his promise even when I can't. And as a church, we should be embracing people that fail. And what breaks my heart so much, and it's happened here over the past, in the past, where, where you're trying to embrace somebody that failed, but they think, oh, there's no way God can use me, and they end up leaving because of it. And I want to tell you that there's an immense amount of grace and mercy here that I've seen people, even in leadership, fail. And what, we, what do you do? The Bible says restore them gently. Yeah. He's screaming, this is part of the process. Don't write them off yet. Because what I promised them back then will still come true. And yet in our finite minds, we go, God, how could you do that? There's a huge shift from just resisting sin to walking in faith. The issue with it is there's no short circuit. This should be encouraging to you. You are going to sin again. Just look at your neighbor and say, I knew I was. (laughs) I knew I was. I knew I was. I was pretty confident I was going to sin again. I was pretty confident. I mean, maybe just one or two more. I'm 40. I may have one or two more good sins in me. But I knew it was going to happen. You can't short circuit the process. Watch what Paul, watch what the writer of Hebrews says about Abraham. 
if the band would go ahead and come up. Watch this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. God tested Abraham, and he, by faith, offered Isaac up as a sacrifice. They're up on top of the mountain. Where's the sacrifice? The Lord's going to provide as he's tying his son up. Puts him on the altar. He who, he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring would be reckoned. Verse 19, this is important. Listen, because you cannot get here without the process. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Now listen, some of you sitting in this building right now have done some things that you're about ready to give up on. You may even cause them yourself. Most of the trouble I got into was self-inflicted. Anybody say amen about that? I know I can spin it off as the devil's after me. No, I'm my own devil most of the time. But you see Abraham walk through a process just like us. God, you're so faithful. I'm lying about this. God, you're so faithful. Uh, I'm I'm doing things out of order and trying to make things happen on my own. God, you're so faithful. Lord, I'm laughing at your promise now. God, you're so faithful. I don't even see how you're going to make this happen anymore. And then one day you wake up and you realize that all through that time, God has been right there, every step of the way, in your corner, giving you strength, giving you stamina, giving you resources, keeping, keeping his promise, doing it all. And then one day he asked you to exercise faith that you never imagined you could have. And in the moment, you realize all the stuff he has done. And the writer of Hebrews says, Abraham reasoned in his mind that that God, the same God that asked me to leave Haran, so many years ago, 25 years ago, the same God that asked me to leave 25 years ago has been faithful the whole way and he'll be faithful today. And it's not about sin anymore. It's about believing in faith. And he walked Isaac up, going to do the most unbelievable thing, walked Isaac up to the mountain. And the writer of Hebrews says he believed, he reasoned that God would raise him from the dead. And I pray today, I'm like, God, there's circumstances in my life where I need to have faith like that. And it's because of the process you walked me through that I can. And so I want to encourage you this morning. You may, be, you, may, you may have been a Christian for five years and you messed up. You're ready to hang it up. Like, nah, I don't, I don't, it's not going to work anymore. God's not going to, you know, people aren't going to believe that this has happened. Same God. Same God still believes in you. The same God's promise is still true. The same, the same promise that he made you at the beginning is still true. He hasn't given up. Matter of fact, he wants you to stand up. He wants, you to, he wants to raise you up. He wants you to complete that in your life. And my prayer is, is that we can be a church that sees that come to happen. That we support each other. That we don't leave early. That we don't quit early. That we, that we, that we don't give up but that we support each other through the process and we remind each other, listen, this is just one more step 
Okay, you may have failed, but listen, it's gonna, you're gonna, your faith is going to increase after this. Come on, don't give up. Come on, don't give up. Don't give up. I believe that's what the Bible looks like, isn't it? So I believe that's what the church should look like. Cheering each other on. Yeah, you failed, but you're not dead yet. Yeah, you failed, but it's not over. Yeah, you failed, but God can make this right. Yeah, you failed. But Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good to those who love God according, called according to his purpose, right? So we may be conformed to the likeness of his son. He says, he says, this is a whole process working out in you. And I'm working every mistake you ever made to get you to the place where you can trust me on the mountain. I'm working it out for your good. Trust me today. Let's stand. I am passionate about this because here's what I realize. I may be standing up here with the mic, but I'm going to need a hand up one day. That process is still happening in my life. That process is still happening with me. I'll fall on my face sometimes. The same grace and mercy. I want to, I want to see a community built where people are allowed to make mistakes and have faithful people around them to help them back up. Amen? Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, I believe there's somebody in here on the road to you and I believe they just took a big leap. God, I pray that you'd confirm in their hearts that they made the right decision this morning. That Lord, you've been steering their path towards you this whole time. For the last 10, 20, 30 years, Lord, you've been steering them towards you. Today, they've run right into your grace and mercy, Lord. And I pray that you'd, you'd just pour out your peace on their lives as they, as they repent of their sins. And I ask you to be their Savior, Lord. Ask, accept what you've done for them, Lord. I pray that peace would, would overwhelm them this morning, Lord, and they would find grace and mercy and forgiveness and wholeness in you. Lord, I pray that they find a future in you, Lord, a hope. God, I pray right now. Lord, I also pray for those who already know you that have made mistakes this morning and feel like they need to give up. God, I pray that you would encourage them that the promise is still true. The promise is still true that you have not given up on them, that you will not give up on them. And there's a church family here who will gently restore them, who will lift them up, who will encourage them. God, I pray that they keep walking with you. I pray that they keep trusting you, God. And I pray that this will be a moment of great faith. We thank you for it today, Lord. We thank you for what you've done in our hearts today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, could you give him praise and honor this morning for what he's doing?